Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John records a vision given by the Holy Spirit, which contained seven specific messages for seven churches located in modern-day Turkey. For the last several weeks, Pastor Nicole has been looking at those seven letters and examining the encouragements and more importantly, the warnings that God gave to each of these churches because they all still apply to us today. We've been reminded about keeping Jesus as our first love, to keep our relationship with him central in our lives. We saw the importance of persevering through hard times to not get lost in the past, but instead to strive forward to the future. Today, Pastor Nicole is wrapping up our series by looking at the final two letters to the churches in Revelation. So let's conclude our series today. Here's Pastor Nicole. Today is the last day in our series on the seven churches of Revelation. Um, I hope you learned some things along the way. If you missed any of the weeks, you can catch them on the podcast or the Facebook page. Um, All of them really go together. So if you missed a few of the weeks, just hop on there and listen to them so you can kind of understand the whole picture. And in Revelations chapters one through three, uh, the Lord dictated letters to seven churches and the apostle John wrote them down. And all of these churches were found in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Um, You can see the cities there up on the map. And the directives in these letters were not just for the congregations back then, but they're challenges for us today. Uh, In fact, in Revelation 1, every church was represented by a lampstand, and we have studied what God said to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and today we will be finishing the letters to the churches in Philadelphia and Laodicea. So I asked Pastor Andy if he would start by just reading us this letter to the church of Philadelphia, Um, and he's going to read it as if God was writing this letter to us today. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not defined or denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan to, that claim, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Well, I think that we can feel kind of personally connected to this church 
because a city in our state is named after it. I think some of you looked at that map as we've been studying this and thought, I can't say any of those names but Philadelphia, right? So we know Philadelphia. In fact, how many of you are sports teams, Eagles fans or Phillies fans? All right. You don't want to admit it here today. Okay, I won't, I won't make you. Raise your hand. Uh, but this particular city uh, actually was historically named after the king of Pergamum. Now, remember, that was another city we studied a few weeks ago. And this king was known for his faithful love for his brother, Eumenes. And people would say that this king was the example of a Greek word. And that word is Philadelphus, meaning one who loves his brother. And so the city of Philadelphia in Revelation is known as the city of brotherly love. And how many of you know that modern day Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is also known as this, right? The city of brotherly love. Now, just a little quick history uh, lesson this morning, a little quick history rabbit trail. William Penn founded Pennsylvania. And when he had gotten there, the place was already settled by Native Americans. And Penn signed a peace treaty with the Native Americans under an elm tree in the city of Philadelphia. And Penn really wanted this city to be a place where men and women from all religious faiths could mingle and live in peace. And so as he was thinking about what to name this city, some scholars say that Penn uh, remembered the knowledge he had of the Bible. And he said, okay, this city in the Bible is a city where people loved each other, and that's what I want Philadelphia to be. And so he decided to name it Philadelphia. Now, we don't know that for sure. That's just what some scholars uh, potentially say. But for whatever reason Penn decided, he chose the word Philadelphia to name the city a city where people would love each other. And so to this day, on top of City Hall, there is a statue of William Penn. I brought a picture there to show you, facing northeast, looking to the spot where he and the Native American tribe signed the first peace treaty. And on that day, the city of brotherly love in Pennsylvania was born. And so Jesus writes this letter to the city of Philadelphia in Revelation. He, he writes it to the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. He writes it to us today. And he says this, I have placed before you an open door. Now, Jesus talks quite a bit in this letter about opening and shutting doors. So what's he trying to say? What's this all about? Well, in this particular culture, Jewish leaders in these cities were hostile toward Christians. These leaders were really a source of pain and persecution for the churches. Often, if you were a Christian, they would shut you out. They would uh, not give you protection. You didn't have the rights that other people had. Um, Christians were not treated fairly. They were not compensated for the work like they should be. They weren't protected by Roman government and Roman law. And Jesus says, listen, you might have felt shut out. You may have felt like you can't be uh, in the presence or in the protection of this city, but you may have felt uh, shut down. You may have felt mistreated. You may have felt left out. But Jesus says, I have only open doors for you. Jesus says, the doors I open, no man can shut. No government, no ruler, no prejudice, no, none of that. The doors Jesus opens, no man can shut. And Jesus reminds the church of Philadelphia, listen, you have promise and you have potential. No matter what they say, no matter how they shut the door, no matter what they tell you, you have promise and you have potential. And I love this reminder. And as I studied this scripture this week, and I prayed for you. I felt like the Lord really told me, this is a prophetic word for some of you in this room today. There's some men and women in this room today that Jesus wants to tell you, he has opened a door for you. 
He has open doors for you. And the doors Jesus opens, no man can shut. And when Jesus opens a door, you can walk through it with confidence and hope and peace because Jesus is the one opening the door. Are you thankful for that this morning? So in this letter in uh, verse eight, Jesus continues. He says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now Jesus acknowledges, he says, all right, I know that, that you have little strength. They're not in conquering the world mode at this point. In fact, they might be in survival mode. Anybody know anything about survival mode? I think the whole first seven years of parenting was survival mode for me, okay? I mean, you're just hoping the toddlers don't overtake you. Somehow they are just stronger and they're just doing things and you can't control them. I think of seasons of my life where every single day felt the same. Like nothing is different, right? Nothing's exciting. You're kind of in this rut and you feel like this monotony. And maybe you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, I'm in survival mode. Like I'm just trying to get through the days. Uh, maybe you feel like depression or anxiety has got you stuck. Maybe you're, you're going through a really difficult time and you would just say, this is survival mode. I am not conquering the world right now. And when we're in that season, Jesus said this to the church in Philadelphia and he says it to us today. He says, listen, when you're in survival mode, be faithful with the little things. Be faithful with the little things. The congregation was committed to simple and small. They didn't have very little strength, but they kept his word and they didn't deny his name. They weren't doing a new building project. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't coming out uh, with all these great goals and, and achievable things. They said, but listen, you kept my word and you didn't deny my name. You kept my word and you didn't deny my name. It got hard, but you kept my word and you didn't deny my name. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, the common everyday things that helped this church be strong, uh, helped them be able to face what was confronting them. And this church relied steadfastly on God minute by minute. If you're in a position right now and you're like, I literally can't go five minutes without asking God for help, God says, perfect. Right, right where I want you. Because minute by minute, I'm gonna give you the strength that you need. This reminded me of a verse in Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You know, I think sometimes we are waiting for God to speak to us about the big things. Like we're waiting for God to chime in on some giant decision or, or mail order us this incredible calling, send some neon sign or like one of those planes that hold the banner, you know, that go across the beach and they're talking about some buffet, you know, but we're hoping like God send one for me. Like, tell me what you want me to do next. What's big for my life? And God does do that sometimes, but I think we make the mistake in thinking that these are the only decisions he cares about. And what God is telling the church in Philadelphia is he's saying, look, the little things count. The little things count. The days in between the miracles count. Don't estimate the power in the small acts of obedience. Don't estimate the power in your Mondays and your Tuesdays and your Wednesdays and your Thursdays because those small things is what get you to the very place that God wants to do the big things. It made me think of Moses 
if you can imagine for a moment, he comes up to the Red Sea. He's got an army uh, chasing behind the people who are complaining. You know, they're like, Moses, <laughs> I'm just going to yell at you from the back. Like, there's not enough food. It doesn't taste good. And he's leading all of these people. And then he's got the army coming and they come up against the Red Sea. And I can imagine Moses being like, oh boy. Like, here I am. What, what am I going to do? And God says, here's the plan, Moses. Stretch out your hand. And Moses is thinking, that's the plan? Like, that's the plan? Because I've done, like, this is all I'm going to do? And God reminds him, Moses, this is your part. You do the little thing. Like, you stretch out your hand. Because God's job is to dry the ground. God's job is to split the sea. God's job is to make the army come in and then the water overtake it, right? We can't do that on our best day. And God says, Moses, just do the little thing. Like just be faithful to simply stretch out your hand when I tell you to and miracles will happen. I think of Mary, another example. We do not talk about her nearly as much she like, she's like a Christmas person, but we got to talk about her the rest of the year. Think about her, unwed teenager, living in an average town, minding her own business. God says, listen, your part is you're going to carry a miracle baby and you're going to name him Jesus. When he comes, name him Jesus. And then you're going to nurse him. And you're going to care for him and then you're going to rock him to sleep at night. And when he won't fall asleep, you're going to stay up into the wee hours of the night to make sure he does. And I want you to love this little boy like he's your own. And Mary does it. She faithfully does it. And God says, and you know what my job is, is to create a virgin birth and send angels to announce the news of a coming king and then raise a savior who will then go to a cross and then in three days rise from the grave and save all of humanity. Mary did the, 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 the small part, but God did the miracle. You know, as humans, our part is always the smaller part. God is always doing the big things. We have to be willing to do the small and simple, but faithful things. Someone said it this way. If you do the little things like they're big things, then God will do the big things like they're little things. Our part is to hear and obey even the smallest of requests. And God's part is to do the miracle and accomplish the impossible. So in this letter, we see a promise from God in verse 12. He says, listen, if you do the small things, if you persevere, if you're loyal to Jesus, I will provide a guaranteed entrance into the new Jerusalem, a guaranteed entrance into heaven. And there is only one man who holds the keys to heaven's gates. And his name is Jesus. And he has the authority to open the gate and what he opens, no man can shut. So I just want to pause here for a minute. I asked Pastor Andy if he'd lead us in this song, just as a response to this letter before we look at the next one, as a reminder of how his promise and his presence are open doors. Because your presence is an open door. We want you, Lord, like never. you 
together your presence. Your presence is in open door. We want you, Lord, like never before. Your presence is in open door. So come now, Lord, like never All right, let's look at this last letter to the churches today. Um, Andy, would you read it to us, to the angel of the church in Laodicea? To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So Jesus uses this word picture to describe this church's condition. And he says, listen, you're neither hot nor cold. You're, you're lukewarm. I love how Jesus, he's always using word pictures that people could identify with or relate to. Um, in Laodicea, there's a neighboring city that was actually known for their hot mineral springs. And so people would go there from Laodicea and they would um, use it for medicinal purposes. They had skin ailments or other issues. They wanted a good hot tub. I don't know, but they would go to these hot springs and they would use them for the things that they needed. Now, just north of Laodicea, geographically, there are mountains and these mountains allowed the cold water to be brought into the city, cool, refreshing, fresh water. And so Jesus is saying, listen, we can use hot water you guys know that. You go hop on over to the neighboring city. Hot water helps with ailments. It helps with problems. We can use cold water when you're thirsty, when you're sweaty. But lukewarm water, that's not useful. Lukewarm water isn't good for anything. Now, if Jesus came today and he was teaching that same lesson to us, I think there is a transferable modern day analogy that many of you in this room can understand. So let's just start with this. Iced coffee. My daughter will pay $8 to get a good iced coffee. Some of you will uh, 
it'll be February and it'll be 19 degrees out and you'll be driving through McDonald's. Can I have an iced coffee, please? <laughs> like I just need my iced coffee. How many of your iced coffee people? You're like, yeah, that's me all year round. Just bring it on. You Pastor Andy, that's you? Iced coffee guy? All right, good to know. I knew I liked you. All right. Hot coffee. Hot coffee, an absolute staple in many of our lives. How many of you wake up and the first thing you do is drink a cup of coffee? Like it, it might be by your bed. You just reach out, you touch the button. It's brewing before you get out there. Nobody should talk to you before your coffee. Are you that person? Like I just, until I get my coffee in my system, just don't even have a conversation with me. Um, some of you came here today and you wondered if there was coffee in the building. You're like, Let me, can we just, is there anywhere like behind any door? Because I might need it. Raise your hand if you're a hot coffee person. Give me a hot cup of coffee any day of the week. All right, all right. You're both? Okay, now, now I'm really concerned. All right. Lukewarm coffee. Lukewarm coffee, it's just disgusting. Nobody stops in the middle of their workday and thinks, you know, I just really wish I had a lukewarm cup of coffee. That would make my day awesome. Like I could be more productive. In fact, if you are drinking lukewarm coffee, it's not because you like it. It's because you are desperate. You are absolutely, completely desperate. And if you don't get some caffeine in your body, you are just not going to go on. Let's be real. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is not necessarily hot is better than cold. I think oftentimes that's at first glance what we're reading here. So not that cold is bad or hot is better than cold, but Jesus is actually saying here, listen, there's a purpose for hot water. There's a purpose for cold water, but there's no purpose for lukewarm water. And so when you are neither hot nor cold, you are not useful to God's kingdom. You're not useful. Spiritual apathy brings you to spiritual uselessness. And basically he's saying, look, pick one, hot or cold, but pick one. Be something, because when you're towing the line and you're nothing, spiritual apathy brings you to spiritual uselessness. And even Jesus implies he will spit the lukewarm coffee out of his mouth. That is where he draws the line, people. I mean, he, he is going to spit that right out of his mouth because it is not useful. Hot or cold, but lukewarm is not useful. So Jesus goes on to tell his church in verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, I think one of the most terrifying things is to think you are something that you really aren't. Like to think maybe that you're doing really great at life or you're really good at a certain thing, but really you're not good at the right things or you're not doing the most important things. I had a friend who said to me uh, in ministry, it stuck with me for years, that he never wanted to be really good at doing the wrong things. And I thought that was so good. That's what's happening in this passage. Laodicea doesn't even think they needed anything. Like they're like, we're good. We got our lukewarm coffee. <laughs> we're, we're all set. They're blinded. They're deceived. They, they, they're in a self-sufficient place. They don't even know that they need God because they think they're doing okay. And God comes in, Jesus comes in and he says, listen, you're confused because you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Should I go on? Jesus is saying, I I'm going to tell you, you're confused. And so he assures them in Revelation 3.20, and you might have heard this verse plucked out of these passages before, and he says, here I am. 
I stand at the door and knock. There's that door analogy again. And Jesus is standing and he's knocking. These verbs are in the perfect tense, revealing uh, this kind of continual action that Jesus wants to dwell within the heart of all men. And so he stands and he knocks and he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking and it keeps knocking, and it keeps knocking, and it goes on and on and on. And, and it stands out to me in this passage that the church of Laodicea actually received no praise whatsoever. In the other letters that we studied, Jesus said, you know, uh, you did really, you're doing really good with these things, but work on this. Well, in this particular letter, he actually doesn't mention anything that they're doing well at. He doesn't say you're doing really good at this, but not at this. He doesn't mention anything Yet, where is Jesus in this passage? He is still standing at the door knocking. Jesus is still showing up. Jesus is still reaching out to them. This church essentially has turned their back and shut God out, yet Jesus, still yearning for his people, still wanting to reconnect with them, Jesus still wanting them, says, you know where I'll be? Right when you need me, I'm waiting right here. And I'll be knocking and I'll be knocking and I'll be knocking because I so much want to have a relationship with you. He doesn't say, if you turn your life around and you start doing everything I tell you to, then I'll come around. Jesus says, all right, you're working some things out, but here I am, I'm right here. I'm here when you come answer the door and I'm knocking and I'm knocking and I'm knocking. Thank you, Jesus, for being a God of mercy. Are you here this morning and you would say, yeah, God has been a God of mercy for me. Like there's no shadow he didn't light up. There's no mountain he wouldn't climb up. The whole lyrics, the whole song, there's no mountain that he won't find us. He's coming after us. And God has been knocking and knocking and knocking. I love Romans 5.10. It says, for if while we were God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Do you know that Jesus came after us even when we were his enemies? I want to tell you this morning, no matter where you are, you might feel close to God right now, you might feel far from him, that he is at the door of your heart. You might not be able to hear the knocking, but that's where this scripture says he is. He is knocking and he wants to come in. He wants to come into your life and he wants to come in every room and every door and your whole house. Maybe you would say, yeah, I opened the front door. Here he is. He can be in my living room, but not so much that dirty bathroom I have. Like those are the things that I haven't figured out yet. So God, you can come be a part of my house, but not in the hard parts, not in the deep parts, not in the confusing parts. And God says, all right, well, I'm going to knock on that door too. And then I'm going to knock on that secret closet and I'm going to knock on every door until you say, come on in. And what happens? What happens when Jesus comes in? Well, he comes into our life. He brings all of his promises with him. He brings all of his promises with him and his promises invade our lives and they start changing things and hope begins to grow in places that we never thought we could see hope grow. And joy springs up in situations and, and, and relationships that we've never seen it before. And peace and camps around our hearts, even if things are swirling around us. And the promises of God begin to surround our lives and they come inside of us and they dwell there and they do something miraculous. And so really the question today is, have you let Jesus in the door? And have you let him fully come into your house, all the rooms of your life? Because in order to keep our lampstand burning bright, we have to let him, we have to let him in, we have to give him full access 
And we have to declare the promises of God every day. So here's what we're going to do. The worship team's going to come back up. And would you stand? Now, the Lord gave me the, the ending to this series. Uh, when I first started, he showed me how he wanted us to celebrate these, this study of the churches of Revelation. And, and here's the thing. We know God's promises are true. We know that he will never let us down. We know he is at the door of our hearts knocking and pursuing us. And today, we're just going to take a few minutes before we leave to testify to the promises of God together. All right, I want you to know, I made this really simple, but it's going to take some courage on your part, okay? It's going to take some engagement on your part. I hope you came to church today to, to be part of what God's doing, not just to watch right from your seat. God's doing something. His promises are true in our lives. And so I want to just remind you really briefly the things we learned in this series that we have to get back to our first love, that, that we can't have a ring without a centered diamond. We need Jesus to be the most important part of our lives. We need to believe that God is doing miracles right now. We're not living in yesterday's victories or yesterday's defeats. We can look at the past. We can love the past. We can honor the past. We can't live there because God wants to do miracles today. God wants to do miracles going forward. He wants to do miracles in this generation. And we need to be abiders, not just attenders. It's easy to attend. It takes more effort to engage, to abide. And people of God who step out in faith so our lampstand doesn't go out. That the eerie first assembly of God lampstand in heaven burns bright with holy fire and that takes you and that takes me and that takes this generation, not just the past generation. And so here's what I did. I printed some of God's promises on these signs. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read them out loud. And if you can testify, if you're here this morning and you would say, I can testify today to the faithfulness of this promise. Like I know God is always with me. God has always been with me. I can testify to the faith of this promise. And I'm gonna ask you to come down and take this sign. You don't have to say anything. I'm not even gonna hand you this microphone. Actually, I'm gonna keep it with me. And I just want you to stand here and hold it. And just say, yeah, you know what? This is me right now in this time, in this generation, God is always with me. I can testify to that. I know that that's true. And I'm gonna go through the, the ones that I have here. And then at the very uh, end, if you maybe, you know, you don't have to tackle each other for the sign, okay? Cause there's, we, we all can share the sign, but I'm gonna ask you to come and stand by the sign that you could say, yeah, God's promise is true for me too. And then we're gonna sing this song together that declares God's promises are always yes and always amen. And that's how we're gonna end our series, all right? So as we just begin, is there anyone this morning that would say, God is always with me? Joshua 1, 9, they would come down and hold this sign this morning and say, God has always been with me. I see too, Lou and Jiva, thank you so much. Why don't you share this? Can you give God praise for this declaration? Ephesians 2.10, God designed me for a purpose. Who's here this morning that says, no, I, I've had a hard time sometimes, but God designed me for a purpose. God's using me for a purpose. Thank you, Josiah. Can you give God praise for Josiah's purpose? And Kim and G Mary, you just joined with them. 
about this? 2 Timothy 1, 7. Uh, there's been difficult things in my life, but God gives me power for my life. God shows up and he gives me power when I have things that I'm dealing with. Would anyone say this morning, God's promise that he gives me power for my life has been true. Thank you. Thank you, God. Come on down. Can you guys give thanks to God for these folks? So good. Let's go. You go ahead and join them if that's you. How about this one, Isaiah 41.10? God helps me. I try to help myself all the time and I get myself into trouble, but God, he helps me. God comes after me. He meets me where I am and God helps me when I need it. Awesome. Come right over here if God helps you. Thank you, Chloe. So good. Romans 15, 13 says, God fills me with overflowing hope. Maybe you're up against some very tough circumstances right now, but God is filling you with overflowing hope. You don't even know where this hope is coming from, but it's from God. He is filling you with it. Thank you. Give God praise. Thank you, Brandis. Hold that up. Thank you, Jesus. All right. God brings in joy in the morning. Psalm 16, 11. God brings joy in the morning. There is suffering sometimes, but God, he brings joy in the morning. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Give God praise for that. So good. Hold it up there. Isaiah 54, 10 declares that God is kind. God is kind to us. If you're here this morning and you would say, I felt and experienced the kindness of God. I know that God is kind. Thank you. I'll meet you guys over here. Give God some praise for these folks that would say God is kind. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Casey. Yes, Lord. Romans 8, 38 through 39 gives us this promise that God loves me deeply no matter what. No matter what, I have felt the love of God no matter what. Come join Renee if God loves you deeply no matter what. three left. So if you're, if God keeps telling you to come down and you stop, you have three more chances, all right? Hebrews 10, 23. Who could say today, you know what? God can be trusted. Like I know God can be trusted. There's some people running to the altar over here. Can we give God for that? God can be trusted. Thank you, Jesus. So good. So good. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you, Joy. All right. Here's the next one, James 1, 5. God gives me wisdom. Maybe you have things that you're working out. There are things that you need a plan for, but God gives you wisdom right here. All right, come join, come join this awesome lady if God gives you wisdom. Can you stand up here? All right, here's the last one I printed today. We could obviously do these all day, God's promises, but this is Psalm 119, 68. God is always good. Who, who here today could say, look, I, it's been hard, but God is always good. God is always good. Come stand by Brittany and sweet me enough. God is always good. Can you give praise for that? Thank you. All right. So it's your turn. I want you to come and join the group of people that are holding the sign that you can agree with. Come on down. Bring somebody with you. And we're going to sing this together. Come on down. Join the sign that you would agree we're going to worship together. God's promises are true and they're good. He fills us with them.
faithfulness God there is nobody like you God and we just worship you Jesus thank you God for your faithfulness to us God hallelujah Jesus thank you for listening to the Erie First podcast we'd love it if you would rate review and subscribe to this podcast you can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news announcements and information thanks again for joining us we'll see you next time